Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Season 2 of the Invisible Truths Podcast. I'm so thankful that you've decided to join us for this second season of Encountering the Wisdom and Power in Other Stories. I hope that along the way, you also encountered the wisdom and power in your own. Before I jump into Season 2, I have to announce the biggest possible change in my life. On December 27th, 2019, at 1.48 p.m., my son Kimani Truth was born. It was a joyful and tiring holiday season, so I bring you this second season with all the wonder and amazement and fatigue a new father can muster. Having said that, I hope you appreciate the guests we've got lined up, including this first guest. So without further ado, welcome to season two. Hi everyone, I'm Ben Tapper and this is Invisible Truths. This is a podcast for anyone who carries burdens that feel too heavy to bear, questions too vulnerable to openly discuss, or pain that you're certain no one else will understand. Even more than that though, this is a space to acknowledge and explore the invisible truths within each of us. If you're still interested, let's get started. All right, everyone, welcome back to another week of the Invisible Truths podcast. We are now into season two, um, and I'm here with Jumake. Jumake is a storytelling coach and, wait for it, life doula, which I think is possibly the dopest job description ever. So welcome, Jumake. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, I'm excited that you're you're here with us. And you recently um, just did a TED Talk. Where was that at? That was local to me in Torrance, California. So by the time this episode comes out, it should go live. It's so amazing how much love I am getting from it just from the photo alone Mm -hmm. when people haven't even seen it yet. So I'm in this sweet spot right now of anticipation and grounding myself for how people are going to react to my topic. Yes. Yes. That's, it's phenomenal. I'm excited to hear it. Um, I'm sure it was great. You describe yourself as a storytelling coach. And so I'm wondering if you can explain for my audience what that means and, and what drew you to this specific type of coaching versus empowerment coaching or general life coaching that others uh, inhabit. Well, I feel like the market of coaching in general is very saturated. Anybody can call themselves a coach now. As you probably know, it is an unregulated field. And at the same time, I have feelings about certifications and who gets to claim expertise over a particular role or identity, similar to yoga. I have my yoga certification and yet does it really make me an expert because I had the financial means to pursue it as well as fulfill the quote unquote hours. And so with the storytelling coaching in particular, I do have my life coaching certification. I went through the year-long process of getting certified through Leadership That Works, which is a coaching industry that centers around social justice. For myself, coming out of nonprofit, being a former community organizer and activist and also a rape crisis hotline counselor, I knew that there had to be another way to support people into essentially creating new narratives for their lives. That is the basis of 
any coaching for me, learning how to tell ourselves new stories. So even though I feel my quote unquote expertise is in helping people excavate their own stories, I know that that begins as an inner experience. And in my teenage years and my 20s, I was very active in theater and spoken word. Spoken word was a byproduct of me not finding any stories that were reflective of my own personal experience when I was a student. And I remember walking into this shop, actually around the corner from where I live today in Long Beach called Shades of Africa. It was my very first open mic at 16 years old. And I was mind blown by how people could just get up on the microphone and speak from the heart and take their own pain and turn it into this beautiful three or five minute, I don't even want to call it a performance, but I I would call it a transmutation. It's like being on stage for me, and when I witness other people on stage, beyond just performing is a ritual. It's being able to alchemize whatever's happened in our past into gold. And so spoken word for me has saved me so many times. And as a result, in my 20s, I became very passionate about teaching other people how to share their own stories through this particular art form. And just such beautiful synchronicity how I'll receive these random messages from young people I used to work with who I'm connected with in the community. Like yesterday, for example, somebody shared my TEDx photo and was all like, this is the person who helped me first fall in love with poetry at a boys and girls club. And I was like, oh, my God, that was over 10 years ago. And I had no idea that this person who I just see as an artist in the community was actually in that class back when they were a teenager. And I wasn't much older than them. I don't think they knew that. I mean, I look it, but the way I sound, they're like, okay, she's old. (laughs) I'm 32, by the way. And I have no shame in that. Uh, But it's so, so amazing how you never know what harvest will be produced from the seeds you plant. And so how all of this connects back to storytelling coaching is after I worked in nonprofit, I even went back to Thailand and I did some excavating of my own roots over there, came back, worked in rape crisis hotline at an Asian American domestic violence agency, was actually fired, or I like to say freed, from that job, it has to make you, it made me question what then is my true purpose? Because at that time I thought it was to liberate other women and other women of color from suffering from sexual violence, which is a huge, heavy burden. And a lot of us who are in social justice, who are activists, we're all empaths. And I I believe that we're all empaths. It's just that somewhere along the way, as we became adults, it was beaten out of us. So there's many of us who learn to cope by dissociating or by uh, 
constantly feeling the need to fight, right? That is all just a physiological response to trauma that is unaddressed. And so then we feel the need to take on the world's pain as our own. And so I felt very privileged to be able to get paid for what I felt my vision was, what my ultimate purpose was. But then when that gets sweet under the rug from you, then what? Are you still going to be truly committed to this vision and to this purpose, even if you're not going to get a paycheck from it? And at the same time, I got to learn how to make money. And I cannot sit forever in my bed sulking in my own sadness and despair, telling myself that I'm not worthy when I myself am a byproduct of essentially systemic violence, but I'm not going to let that define me as a survivor, as a woman, as a person of color. So how is it that I can tell myself new stories related to those identities which society has used to oppress me and keep me small? And so then how is it that I could take my experience as a spoken word artist, as a storyteller, and essentially decolonize the way that I see the arts and use that to help people spur the new stories for themselves, essentially, which is why I like to call myself a life doula. <laughs> and I, I love, I love that. Um, and as I, as I listen to you um, speak about the parts of your journey that led you to storytelling, coaching, and uh, being a life doula, it made me reflect a little bit on my own journey. And, and I think for those of us that um, get into work trying to help people or eradicate systemic injustice or help people heal, um, a lot of times I think it's because we ourselves are on that journey and have had to do that work for ourselves, right? So for me, I know it's being a survivor of, of child abuse and learning what it means to rewrite my own story, learning what it means to work through the trauma imprints you know, that have defined so much of my life for the last 31 years. And so I'm, I'm wondering for you, if there's any part of your journey you want to share that, that, that touches on what launched you into this journey for yourself, what made you realize you needed to kind of be able to tell your story and then to learn how to, to, uh, to rewrite or understand portions of it differently to live into your fullest uh, sense of being. I will say that last night I was reflecting on my TEDx talk and I was very proud of myself that not once in my story did I mention that I myself have also experienced child sexual abuse. Mm. And that's because I felt like it's for, perhaps it's for another topic, but I've been telling myself that story for so long that that's not my only story. Feeling where is it I'm at today and why I choose doula is because after I was freed from my job, I uh, was experiencing some very painful reproductive challenges. And uh, I realized during my yoga teacher training, my trauma-informed yoga teacher training, that it was because my root chakra or my sacral chakra was disrupted, which is our chakra of security, foundation, sensuality, money, relationships. And so, of course, that's how it was manifesting physiologically for me. And it didn't have 
health insurance either because I didn't have a job anymore. But I was eventually able to see a doctor who told me that they couldn't find anything wrong with me. And within a week, it just dissipated. This sparked me on a path to explore how is it that our ancestors healed themselves before we relied on the medical industrial complex, before we relied on 1-800-RAPE-CRISIS-HOTLINE calls, before we relied on these direct services that many of us have worked for or are still currently working for. And I'm not saying that those are bad. It's just what else is out there? So after I was freed and then experienced this pain and naturally my body was just giving me these loving messages that it's time to do something new, I became a yoni steaming apprentice to this woman named Kelly Garza, who now her brand has just gone global. It's called Steamy Chick. And also the other instructor in that class was Marcia Lopez. She's a, a Mayan abdominal womb healer. And I thought that abdominal womb healing at that time was something that was specific to the Mesoamerican tradition. Are you familiar with it at all? No, I'm not. So abdominal womb healing helps to realign our uterus if it's prolapsed or if it's uh, in a place where it's not supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And from what I've learned, if you go and see a doctor, a Western doctor, they will tell you that it's normal. However, uh, having a misaligned uterus can often lead to infertility, is connected to back pain, is connected to all of these other challenges in our bodies for people who have a uterus, because not everybody who has a uterus defines themselves as a woman right. either. Right. All of this to say, this actually led me back to my motherland, to Thailand, because I then learned that this is a practice that is ancestral to so many of us and not just people of color too. However, colonization has affected every single one of us yep. to where we are, I don't want to say rediscovering, but we are remembering that this is our birthright. Yeah. And so being with a midwife, a traditional midwife in Thailand was my way of reclaiming, even though all of my classmates were white, which was mm -hmm. another weird trippy moment where I'm just like, okay, I'm, to I'm a total imposter. I'm, I'm so American. Mm. And uh, I was angry. And then, I'm, and then I remember it was that moment where I'm like, who is my anger really serving? My own generation in Thailand has no desire to reclaim these practices. They're trying to be like me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. And they're confused. Like, what is this girl doing? She's so backwards. As a result of that experience, I came home and the stories surfaced from my mother that her grandmother was the midwife of their village. Mm. And that as a child, my mother would assist her wow. during these home births. And my mom left her village when she was 14 years old, went to the city, which is like a 16 hour train ride away mm. and put herself through school supported herself, cleaned homes, did everything she could to make it in the city, eventually met my father who 
happened to be the son of one of the families she was staying with and uh, essentially saw him as her ticket to the United States because he happened to travel there once. And the next thing you know, they are here and my sister's born and I come into the world later. And even that alone in me just leading with curiosity has resurfaced so many stories from my mother that never would have been shared had I not uh, taken this path of essentially being curious about the story of my ancestors. Yeah. To the point where I used to run a yoga and meditation group for Mm -hmm. people of color in Long Beach. And the very first sit we had was in the heart of Cambodia town at this little community center. And my mom, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful that I grew up with comfort. I grew up in the suburbs. Um, I'm in Long Beach right now and I grew up in Cerritos, California. And my mom would always be like, why do you stay in Long Beach? It's like, kind of hood, it's kind of ghetto there. Mm -hmm. But she first immigrated here. Uh, When she first immigrated here, she lived in Long Beach. And when she came to my very first Sankha meditation sit, it turns out that that very place was her first apartment when she moved here before it was converted to a community center. Wow. So all the memories started coming up for her and the stories. And so it's just beautiful moments like that where I am reminded that ancestors do have our backs. I don't hear these messages that come from the clouds or anything. I don't have any formal rituals. I'm just curious. And silence has often been the best means of connection. I love that story. The the serendipity of it all is is beautiful. Um, and as you were talking, I I started thinking about the ways that stories shape our existence, both you know our connection or disconnection from our familial stories, the stories we tell within society. You know, stories like Christianity is the right religion, everything else is wrong, or stories like um, you have to pull yourself up by the bootstraps, or stories about um, monogamy or sexuality. I mean, there's stories, stories shape our existence um, deeply. And I don't think we begin to uh, live into the story, like consciously choose the stories we live into until we allow ourselves to be curious. And so it's interesting that so much of the power structures and sometimes even political or religious structures are designed to squelch curiosity um, because they perceive it as dangerous. And it is if you're trying to oppress people, <laughs> um, but it's life-giving, you know, if, if you want to exist fully. And so that's what I've been ruminating on. And I was struck by what you said about your TEDx talk, how you were really proud that you got through the talk without mentioning the story of your um, sexual abuse. And, and then that triggered in me something I've been working through is I've been reading the book, The Body Keeps the Score. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm near the end of it now. And they're talking about psychomotor therapy, which is dealing with rewriting the trauma imprints and the trauma narratives uh, using other folks and surrogates. And so it, like, I'm, I'm really freshly considering the idea that you can actually rewrite some of these um, stories and imprints that you have on your, your soul. I say all this to, to wonder what the process of rewriting has been like for you and how you differentiate um, embracing healing and rewriting from avoiding. Because I think some people would 
and I've done this myself. Mm-hmm. Like I, I want to distance myself from my past or I want to exist as if I've never experienced trauma. Right. So I can feel normal. Mm-hmm. Um, Bypass it all. Exactly. But that's different than mm-hmm. the place that you are talking about. So can you speak to that distinction and, and your awakening to it? Yeah. So I think that it is important to name my experience of child sexual trauma is essentially the result of colonization, white supremacy, the lack of familial connection here in the United States, because my experience was, you know, trigger warning, was from a neighbor, a kind, older white man who was your friendly American neighbor, who offered to essentially like babysit me as my parents were working. And so I just think about how many of these stories don't get told and how many people grow up into adults who are unknowingly carrying this trauma and just hiding it because of shame. And like I said, it's not a story that I tell a lot anymore, but if you read my bio, it's very clear. My very first online summit, which is essentially like a podcast on steroids, was called Your Story Medicine, How to Move from Trauma to Resilience. And so for any of your guests who are listening to this, I'd love to gift that to them if they are feeling called to hear these interviews of other healers, many birth workers and midwives who are on this path of reclaiming their ancestors' medicine and are also entrepreneurs themselves in their own personal stories, how so much of our path of becoming healers is often... I don't want to say like a result of our sexual trauma, but many of us have that in common. And I don't like saying it's our trauma that defines us or that makes us who we are. Essentially, it's our resilience. It's our means to be able to climb out and to create new memories for ourselves. Because if you're reading The Body Keeps Score and you're familiar with how trauma and how it affects the body then we know that when we are in a state of fight, flies, flight, freeze, fawn, it is our amygdala that's essentially being activated. And our amygdala, it will just get stronger. It'll get bigger the, the more we are experiencing trauma. And there's no way to shrink it. The only thing to do is to strengthen our prefrontal cortex. And the way that we do that is by essentially creating new memories associated with an experience that otherwise would have triggered us. It is through play. It is through community. And this takes work because so many of us identify with the traumas that we've experienced as if that is all that we are. This is why I love pole dancing, by the way because I get to form a new relationship with my hips, this part of my body that I once felt so ashamed of. And by the way, after I, I was freed from my job, the very first place that took me in like a lost orphan was a pole dancing studio. But it was only because I wanted to try something completely new. And I was like, you know what? Nobody can judge me at this point, only myself. 
And there's a very strong connection that I later learned about between our yoni, which is essentially our uterus, our vagina, our reproductive health, and our throat. If you look at the picture of the cervix and of the vulva, it looks identical to the anatomy of our throat. And cervix literally translates to neck. And so, so many of us, especially as women, as survivors of sexual trauma, are having a difficult time being able to speak our truth and tell our story because of the stagnation that is still in this area of our body that we've learned to avoid. Amen. And I'm wondering if we can, um, if you don't want to go here, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But if we can pause and, and unpack why something like pole dancing is not only okay, but but powerful. Um, I, and I guess what, what's playing around mm -hmm. in my mind is that there are people out there, I live in the Midwest, which I know is mm -hmm. a very different environment mm -hmm. than California. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, here in in the Midwest, with all the good old boys and good old girls, um, <laughs> things like pole dancing and any like outward expression of your sexuality or ownership of your body or uh, those types of things are still kind of I think somewhat taboo broadly speaking. Um, and they you can get certain labels from them, though more and more middle class white women are pole dancing. So I guess that's becoming normalized. <laughs> <laughs> it totally is. <laughs> Totally is. Uh, well, okay. I've never shared this story, but so, so one of the pole dancing studios that I, why well, I went to is shut down now. I loved this, this one particular instructor. What I love about the studio is that you never know what the background is of the person next to you. They could easily be a stripper and they could also be a doctor. But in that space, it doesn't matter. We are stripped down to barely anything. And we are able to just love up on ourselves without the approval from like a male gaze. And so in regards to pole dancing being something that is still kind of taboo because of its association to maybe sex work or strippers and for me, uh, I was able to heal my relationship with so many women in that space because, like I said, it didn't matter where it is we came from, what our background was. What was most important is that in that moment, we were doing the work to reclaim our body as ours. And I met so many women who were able to leave abusive relationships as a result of this. And not to say that this dancing is only limited to women. I think that even if men were to try it, it just like taps into this sensual feminine parts of ourselves that we have suppressed. And so I will say that I think it is important we give tribute to sex workers and to strippers for essentially like bringing this to mainstream. And I know that Pole dancing goes beyond stripping, goes beyond sex workers. If you look at China and India, this was actually a male dominant sport. 
And then I think it was in Russia or something like that. I don't know the exact history, but wow. somewhere along the way. Yeah, exactly. I didn't know that. It, it, yeah, it's, 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 it's an acrobatic sport. And then somewhere along the way, when it came to, to the Western world and to the United States, it became exotified. It became sexualized. And look how now it's been used as a weapon against so many of us. And now we're coming back to reclaiming this as our own, reclaiming our bodies as our own. Oh, but the story that I wanted to tell, which is why I think it's important we give tribute to sex workers and strippers for quote unquote normalizing this art form, is that uh, one of my instructors, I didn't find out till after she left the studio and we, she was moving to the East Coast and we became Facebook friends. And so I was like, okay, now it's getting a little more personal outside of the studio. I didn't realize that her politics were extremely conservative, that she did not approve of like the LGBTQA community and just like all these other things that I had no idea of when she was my teacher. And so anyways, it's, uh, it's very interesting to see how, like you said, it is something that is being more embraced by like middle-class white women. And yet we're not being, we're not paying tribute where tributes due either. Needless to say, she, she actually blocked me. That's funny and sad. Uh, I know. And then it's funny because the the instructor that ended up taking her place is like this, this queer lesbian Mm. progressive woman. And, Mm -hmm. and so. Yeah. (laughs) And I thank you for sharing that story. Uh, That's, it's a beautiful illustration of the, of the point you were making. And I agreed, men, my God, uh, Jimmy, we, (laughs) we are so suppressed um, in terms of our connection with our bodies and with our Mm -hmm. emotions and our sexuality. Like, there's so much work that men men need to do um, to to connect more deeply with those parts of ourselves. Yeah, I will say that I used to be very active in transformative justice. And if you're familiar with it, it's essentially how is it that we can create alternative responses to violence outside of the criminal justice system by centering relationships, by centering healing. And so I realized that in trying to do this work with men. It's definitely not my responsibility. I need other men to step up and do that. Because for me, I feel like where my gift is and my path is in centering the narratives of women and um, helping us reclaim our stories and in our bodies. Yeah, I think that's a valid point. It's I've seen, especially on Instagram, there are a lot of women that I think are doing this work for other women and that's beautiful. Um, but I, I haven't seen as many men, and that, that fascinates me. As a, a man who's trying to do that work for himself, uh, I think there's a, a, a major need for more of those voices in those spaces because there's some, some nuance in, in reconnecting with yourself as a, especially a hetero cis man versus a, a woman. Um, and so, so yeah, I, I'm with you. I think uh, yeah. it's important for men to take charge in, in doing that work and being curious and all that comes with that. Yeah, there's, and there's beautiful businesses that are being birthed from this need. So I have a friend named Aubert. He's the co-founder of of an organization called Sacred Sons. And I just love this movement of men flying out from all around the world to Southern California to get their healing work done. So I'm just kind of like, like for me, transitioning from nonprofit into entrepreneurship 
has opened up a world for me of how other people are creating businesses to solve a specific problem. And so for him in particular, it's about uh, solving the problem of men feeling disconnected from themselves and each other. And then like for me personally, like the problem that I see is like so many uh, women I know of, especially women of color who are on this path of reclaiming their ancestors' medicine, do not have the basic tools and foundations in order to like launch a business on cement versus sinking ground. And all of that is the result of the stories that we've been telling ourselves or the stories that society has told us that then we embody as our truth when it's not. Like we are in this beautiful time where there's a paradigm shift happening, where we get to rewrite our narratives and we get to essentially create this new reality. And when I say new, let's say new with a K, we are reawakening to what is already ours. As you think about this work and, and have your plans to, to step more deeply into this work for yourself personally and to help other people, you know, um, discover their K-N-E-W stories. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering what your deepest hope is. This is great because one of the activities that I do with my clients or when I facilitate storytelling workshops is that I have people map out their life experiences and then map out where it is they're going. And we have two different visions. The first vision is the vision that we have for the collective. And the second vision is what is it we have for ourselves? Because there's many of us who have been overtaken oftentimes by the vision of the collective that we forget what our own vision is and how that intersects with what is it we want for those around us. And it's impossible to see this vision come to life of the collective if we ourselves are not embodying what it is we want for them, for ourselves. And so my own personal vision is that I can help birth as many people as possible into essentially like their new story into who it is they're becoming help them get there a little quicker than if they try to do it themselves and i know that i can only do that as i continue to do my work as i continue to reclaim play as i continue to reclaim pleasure for myself and if I can go into a space and not feel like I need to censor my truth, but also be able to speak from this deep belly place of just like joy and commitment. I feel like before it was just everything I spoke was out of anger and out of bitterness. And I want my words to serve as this frequency for what else is possible and recognizing that if our bodies are made up of over 70, over 80% of water, and I'm just a drop, that uh, for me doing this work on myself will serve as the current, as the wave, for others to be kinder, for others to also step into their joy and into their pleasure, and to recognize that we don't have to do it alone that we are better doing it together 
as a collective, honoring our own personal visions and recognizing that when we honor that and embrace that, that in turn is a service to the collective. Yes. Well, well said. I like to end these podcasts by leaving the listeners with something tangible or something practical that they can do throughout the week to reintegrate and come back to the themes of the podcast. And I typically invite my, I typically invite my guests to, um, to do that. And so as you think about all that we have discussed today, coming back into our bodies, play, telling our stories, living into our own personal vision versus collective vision. Is there a, um, a short practice, a quote, a theme that you would invite people to do you know, every day uh, for the next week for two to five minutes a day that they could help them tie back into some of the truths that you have uh, excellently shared this morning? So if you are listening and you are not driving, <laughs> then um, I just love to invite folks to gently close their eyes. And if you are in movement, it is completely okay if your eyes are open, but this is an opportunity for us to truly drop from our head to our body. And if you are uh, someone who identifies as a woman or you have a uterus, then drop into your womb space. And for anyone else, drop into your hips. And I would just love to invite people to breathe into this part of their being and use this moment to take the longest, deepest inhale you have taken all day, inviting a smile to your face as if you are drying up earth energy from your toes to your hips to your heart, throat, head. And then as you take the longest, deepest exhale you have taken all week, all day, allowing your shoulders to relax, the jaw to unclench, your tongue to be released from the roof of your mouth. As you feel this energy swirling in your belly and taking another inhale from your toes, a slow, deep inhale all the way up to the crown of your head. And with every exhale, it's as if we are shedding dead leaves from our bodies to drop back into the earth to serve as compost. As if any weight that you've been carrying can be transmuted into nourishment. And all of this is in service to free the stagnation inside of our bellies, our bodies, our wombs. Because this is where so many of our stories are being held. Not just our own stories, but the stories of the ones who came before us and also for the ones who have yet to come. What story have you been telling yourself that has created this stagnation, this stuckness inside of your mind and your body and your spirit? Perhaps that story is I'm not good enough. Perhaps that story is I'm not ready. Maybe it's I don't have enough time. What does that do to your body when you say that to yourself? 
And how is it that you can transmute that story into one of possibilities, into hope, into resiliency? And so put your concentration on your belly and reframe this into something that makes you feel expansive and open. My life experiences have prepared me for these moments. There is always enough time. I am enough. So whatever story has been creating stagnation for you, you now have the agency and the power to change it. You are ready. It's been time. And I invite you to breathe in that new story. Feel it in every fiber of your being. And allow this story to be kept sacred in the center of your being. Walk with this new truth. And when you are truly, fully able to embody it, that alone will serve as the frequency that this world has been praying for. So with that, just invite you to take three more breaths with me. The first is for the ones who came before us because you are their prayers answered. The second is for this person you are rebirthing. And last is for the next generation who gets to know that a new reality is possible because you did the work to make it so. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Mm. Yeah. So as we uh, come out of that wonderful practice, if... I'd love uh, to know, actually, mm -hmm. Ben, what is the new story that you, you're telling yourself? Yes. Excellent question. I love it when my guests ask me questions. Um, the new story that... There are multiples, I think. Um, that I am safe, that I am enough um, that I don't have to earn approval and love. I have it within already. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those are my stories. Awesome. Thank you for asking that. Mm -hmm. So as people um, want to connect with you or access your work or follow you, where are the best places for them to do that? Well, if you enjoyed this meditation, then I have a wonderful chakra alignment meditation that takes you even deeper. And I'd love to gift that to your audience. You can go directly to my website, which is jumake.com. And that's spelled J-U-M as in Marissa, A-K-A-E.com. And also... Um, I have some wonderful things in the works. So yourstorymedicine.com will be the place to see what I am birthing next. Phenomenal. And are you um, on, I know you're on Instagram. Are you on Facebook yeah. or Snapchat or? Uh, yeah. So Facebook, Instagram is the best place to see 
what's happening. So you can find me at Juma K. And for those of you who are curious, Juma K is just a combination of my first middle last name, which is June <laughs> Marissa Cowsit. And so, you know, loved ones call me June. Um, I embrace all of it. So that's how you can find me. Thank you. And I'll make sure to post the links of this as well as any other links in the episode description uh, once this episode airs. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Jim McKay, and, and for offering uh, the fullness of yourself, your spirit, and your wisdom to us and to the audience this morning. I've been blessed and I'm sure the listeners have as well. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Invisible Truths podcast. I hope you were as impacted as I was by Juma K's story and the work that she's doing. If you'd like to know more about her work, please click on the links in the episode description. Also, if you haven't yet done so, take a moment and leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. The reason that's important is because five-star ratings are the fastest way for new listeners to discover the podcasts they might like. So if you heard something that impacted you in this week's interview, or if you think you know someone that might want to hear what Juma K or any of my other guests have had to say, please leave a five-star rating and feel free to share the episode. I'll be dropping new content every Monday morning between 6 a.m. and 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So once again, thanks for listening. And until next week, I'm Ben Tapper.